How's everybody doing this morning? I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for asking. We're happy to have you here. We're happy you're back. My name is Gary, and I'm one of the three elders here at Greater Alton. Alan, the song leader, was one of the others, and Tim, who's in Florida with the young people. We're happy to have you guys all here today. Uh, we're in the middle, if you look in your bulletin, of a, of a lesson called The Resurrection Effect. If you're visiting with us, we do have some notes that are in your bulletin that you can follow along with. You can fill in some blanks if you, if you so choose, or you can take those with you later and, and refer to them. Those notes are also on our website. I know a number of people look at those on your phone at greateraltonchurch.org. But we've been talking about, for the last four weeks, the resurrection effect. It's been a few years ago now that we started taking notice that in the New Testament, they talked a whole lot more about the resurrection than what we do. And so we've been making a conscious effort to pay more attention to it, to look at, to study, to see why they paid more attention to it, to what it means, uh, what was the purpose of it. And we came up with this series. I've spoken about it on a number of different occasions, but we came up with this series called The Resurrection Effect. And all we're looking at is different ways that the resurrection should impact me. If I'm a follower of Jesus, the resurrection should have an impact on the way I live my daily life, on the way I think. Alan talked about the restoration effect of the resurrection and some very real things of what God is trying to restore and that the resurrection was a part of that. He talked about that for three weeks. And last week I talked about how one of the resurrection effects is we have a clearer vision. We have a clearer vision of eternity. We have a clearer vision of what's insignificant in our lives today. And thirdly, we have a clearer vision of what should be significant in our lives today. And today what I'm going to be talking about is knowing the power. And for guys, I've been on a journey for the past few years trying to understand what this is referring to and what this is talking about. This first passage in your notes is in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 18 through 21. And it says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which He has called you, the riches of His glorious inheritance in His people, and His incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength He exerted when He raised Christ from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Guys, I've been on a journey for the past, I don't know how many years, four or five years, all because of this passage. Because it mentions two things there. One, the resurrection, and the other is that there's power available to me as a believer in Jesus. Because of, And it's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Now, there's nothing worse than doing a job and finding out later there was a better tool or a more powerful tool to do the job with. Has, has anybody ever had that experience? You know? I remember it was, it was last summer we were putting a windshield in a motorhome for a gentleman, and uh, me and my son showed up before the technician with all the tools showed up, and we were just trying to get ahead of things. And so uh, I had Jonathan, my son, 
start to cut the windshield out with what is, we refer to as a cold knife. It is, it's just a, an L-shaped blade with a handle and a cable that you pull along like this that cuts the seal in the windshield, that bonds it in. And Jonathan wrestled and wrestled and wrestled, and he didn't quite get it all. And then Michael shows up with the truck with all the tools. And what's it got in there? It's got what we call the extractor. It's a Sawzall with a modified blade that is, it's electric operated. And when the owner of the motorhome said that, said, I'd be shooting you if I was, if you had made me pull that cold knife when that thing was available. And guys, y'all know that frustration. Well, when it comes to the power that's available to us to live the way Jesus wants us to live, I want that power. I want to understand it. I want to experience it. I want it to be available to me every day of my life. And guys, that's what Paul was talking to here in the Ephesians. He, he started this church. He told them the Gospel in Acts 19. He stayed there for two full years. And now, later on in his life, he's writing them this letter and he's saying them, he, he's telling them what he's praying to them for. Or praying about, praying, what he's praying that God will do for them. And he's praying that they're going to know this incomparably great power. Among other things, he's praying for them. But that's it. And so guys, what that tells me is what? It doesn't just jump up and bite you. This power that he's talking about. But it's available. And guys, when you look in my... I say I'm on a journey because I'm nowhere near an expert on this topic. I'm a little bit farther down the road than I was, and that's all I'm going to share with you today is what I've learned and am learning about this. Uh, the first thing I want to let you know is, guys, the word power, and this power is talked about all through the New Testament. The word that is translated here is, uh, let me find it, is dynamos. And it is used 119 times in the New Testament. And you can see where dynamos, you know, it's where we get the word dynamite. Powerful explosion. And the word actually means, it means valid, powerful, capable of having the desired result or effect. And you see guys, now if you go through, the, if you know anything about the, the New Testament, it's written in a language called Koine Greek. And just because they tell us this is what the Greek word means, it doesn't mean it's always translated the same way. Because it's not a word-for-word translation where the same word means the same thing in English. And it's translated several different ways, but power is the most common one. But it's, and it's typically referring to a power that comes from God, a supernatural power. Though it can mean other things, that is the primary message. Sometimes it's translated mighty works. Okay? One of the places that's translated, that is in Matthew chapter 7, where the people are talking, Jesus says, not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only him who does the will of my Father in heaven. And it says, many will come to me and they'll say, well, didn't we do all these great things in your name? And one of the things they're going to do is they're going to claim that they did mighty works. And dynamos is the word that's there. We did powerful things in your name. Performed mighty works. And Jesus is going to tell you, away from me, I never knew you. 
And so guys, the word is used a lot of different ways, or it's translated a lot of different ways. It's even used in reference to powers other than God. In Romans chapter 8, it's talking about nothing can separate us from the love of God. And it says, nor height, nor depth, nor, nor demons, nor powers. And it's talking about other powers. So apparently there's powers out there besides just God's. Okay? In Acts chapter 3, Peter and John heal a man. And they, they're questioned about it. And they say, by what power did you do this? Okay, So the word was used not exclusively to refer to the power of God, but when it's used in the New Testament, that is the dominant way that it's used. It's this power that's available to us from God. And it's the only place it can do. Now if you look in your notes there, I've got a little little bar graph. And it says powerless on one end and powerful on the other. And I've defined the word power as the ability to do or act. Capability of doing or accomplishing something. Now, I don't know how you feel. I put that there for your own reference. You don't need to fill it out now. In fact, I hope it's something you give some thought to. Because for the majority of my walk with Jesus, my the majority of the years that I've spent trying to follow Jesus, I have woke up in the morning and I've went through my day feeling pretty powerless. That was the truth of the matter. It's only been in the recent years that I learned to experience some of this power and then to where I understand it and to where now I'm not sure I'd put myself at powerful at 10 yet. But guys, I put that up there because I want you to do some evaluation of it. We're going to look at a verse in a minute where Paul talked to Timothy about a group of people and he said they have a form of godliness but deny its power. You see, you may look at this chart and go, that's not even something I think about, Gary. I don't even think about myself as powerful or powerless. Because you're not even paying attention to the power that's available there. And guys, that's the first thing that we want to talk about today, is that real power is available to me. Real power is available to me. Look at this passage here in Hebrews chapter 6. Beginning in verse 4, it says, It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the coming age, and who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. Guys, this is a, this is a passage of Scripture that I've known for literally 40 years. I've known about it. And the main thing whenever I read this passage... This passage was used to prove that a, that a Christian could fall away from following Jesus. You could go from being lost, I mean being saved, to being lost. That's the way this passage was used. And very clearly it's talking about someone who was in a right relationship with God and who walked away from it. But it's one of those things that when you start looking closer, there's some things there and there's this little phrase there. It talks about the characteristics of these people who were once saved, and it, said, it uses the phrase, they've tasted the powers of the coming age. I don't... I, when I first read that, I'm like, what are they talking about? You see, guys, because I, I, I don't... We never go around talking about tasting the powers of the age to come. I don't know if we talk about the powers that are going to be in the age to come. We're going to begin talking about that. 
But they're talking about it being very real. That in the age to come, which Jesus referred to, which is after He comes back, there are powers that are available then that we can have some of right now. Now, I think that's pretty cool. That gets me a little excited. Now, guys, I want to be clear. That power, I'm not talking about in the miraculous... We're not going to be talking about today in the miraculous sense as in the power of healing or in the power of speaking in tongues or interpreting or in prophesying. I'm not talking about that because those are specific manifestations of the power. But you have to understand that the majority of the passages that we look at in the New Testament that refer to this power like we looked at in Ephesians 1 have to do more of an all-inclusive sense. And what I mean by that is it's available to every follower of Jesus. Those gifts that I just talked about, the gift of speaking in tongues, the gift of healing, the gift of prophecy, those are not available to everybody. They were not, and the Bible says that they were going to cease. But it's very clear if you go look at 1 Corinthians 12-14, through 14, not everybody had those. But this power is available to everybody. And so guys, I want to, I want to make that clear as we talk about this. I don't want you to get confused when you, if you go back and you read in your Bible and you're, you see power and you see miracles. That's not what, there's something more than just that. Because not everybody performed miracles in the Bible. But everybody that followed Jesus had this power available that we're talking about today. So the question is, then what am I talking about? What is this power? If you take the signs and wonders and miracles out of the discussion, is there anything left? Well, I believe there is. Because of the constant reference to it. He wasn't referring to those miracles. But if you, there's a passage I want to read to you. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. It's not in your notes and it's not on your screen. If you want to reference it and look at it later, I understand. But this is what it says. It says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. Some translations translate that word fortresses as strongholds. What is that you're talking about? Well, he goes on to tell us. He says, we are destroying speculation and every lofty thought raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to make it dark. We're taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And guys, what he's saying there is our power that we have available to us is to capture thoughts. Literally, the battle for your faith takes place in your mind. Everything that happens around you, all of your circumstances, if you will, the blessings that may make you say, God is good. Those are, and even the bad things that happen that challenge your faith, they are all designed to impact the way you think. Either to say, yes, God is good, or to say, no, God can't be good because of bad things. God didn't bring those thoughts to you. But that illustrates what the battle is really all about. You see, and what he's saying is, we've been given divine, but we, bleh, 
The weapons we've been given are divinely powerful. They're capable of having the desired result or effect. And we're going to talk about it in a little bit to make sure we have the desired result or effect. Because God didn't give us tools to do something He doesn't want us to do. And you guys, you need to understand even going further about this, most of you, if you, if you follow Jesus very long, you're familiar with Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. And what it says there is to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The New Living Translation says to let God change you into a new person by changing the way you think. Have you ever tried to change the way you think about something? I mean, it is a challenge. I mean, you've thought about something a specific way your whole life. And then, all of a sudden, you realize either you're wrong, or it's ineffective, or you choose to think and believe things another way. There's a challenge involved there. All you have to do, if you want, the best illustration that I have, or a good illustration, is when you look at prejudice. You look at a person that's prejudiced. Anybody in their right mind can look at prejudice and go, that's stupid. I mean, you can't. You can look at that and go, when you prejudge somebody based off their color or their ethnicity, that's foolish. But yet, when you look in this country that we live in, and other parts of the world as well, we don't hold a monopoly on that, prejudice hasn't just went away, has it? And it's a two-way street. It's not a one-way street. And guys, when you get to more personal issues, I don't know how many of you have ever struggled with, with prejudice, but when you get to other issues... When you get into somebody who, has, who is a drug addict, most of the time a drug addict has to change the way they think in order to quit doing drugs. There's a reason they do drugs. It numbs the pain that they feel. And they have to change the way they think in order to have control over that. Guys, I've been given a very unique situation recently. Most of you know my wife and I, we sold our auto glass business that I started 24 years ago. Sold it to a young man, 34-year-old man. It was about 31 days ago that we sold that, 32 days ago on April 19th. And he started riding with me and I started training him the day, day or two before that. I don't even remember. And after a couple days, after he had owned it, I started feeling very awkward. You see, because part of the agreement was I would spend 30 days with him training him how to do the work. My wife would continue answering the phone for 90 days. And I would be available to consult with even beyond that. And it's more of a transition. You know, people ask, how does it feel to be out of the auto glass business? I'm not. You know, I get up every day and got to be concerned with how he's getting the work done. But after a couple of days, I found myself very in an awkward position because I was still making decisions about something I didn't own. You know, for 24 years, it was mine. I made those decisions. And now they were his to make. And I found myself in his presence making decisions that probably aren't, weren't mine to make. 
And he's a very humble young man. He, he understands what's going on. But I had to go to him after two days and say, listen, you need to understand that uh, I'm used to making these decisions myself. And I want you to know that I am recognizing I shouldn't do that. These are your decisions to make. And I want you to know, you know, like he was asking me, like I was still driving the van, the work van, and he's, you know, he was wanting to have it that weekend to clean it out. I said, you should not ask me for that. You should tell me. That's your van. Okay? And I want you to know that I recognize that these decisions are, are, are yours to make. They're not mine. And I, but I want you to know it, 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 it's, it's awkward here. And it was all good. It was all fine. But it's been amazing over the last, over the last, uh, last month, probably twice a day. Susan and I will be talking about something on the phone. She'll call me like she usually does. Got this situation here or this job coming up. And she's going to ask my input. And I say, you need to ask Matt about that. And it's really kind of nice. Because I don't have to make that decision anymore. Oh, there's a problem? You should ask Matt about that. Ask Matt what he wants it to do. You know, don't ask me anymore. And we go on and on. But guys, I think about that. And you see, that is the exact, that is a wonderful illustration of what a person should go through when they become a follower of Jesus. When they become a disciple, when they become a Christian, they're baptized and they come up out of the water, and guess what? Every minute of their life up to that point, they made the decisions. And now all of a sudden, when you put Jesus on as Lord, what you're saying is, you own me. You have bought me. And these decisions are now yours, but much like me in the glass business, we continue to make them ourselves, don't we? And sometimes we don't even think about it. We don't think about, oh my goodness, I'm not trying to, I'm not supposed to make a decision that pleases me. I'm supposed to make a decision that pleases Jesus. I'm not supposed to take action here based off what I like and what makes me comfortable and what is convenient for me. I'm supposed to defer that decision to the king and what he wants. Now, I don't know about you, but that is a challenging process to go through. If you're going to tell me it was just easy for you and you've done it all perfectly since, I'm not going to believe you. But guys, that's the challenge. That's the battle. And sometimes it feels impossible to make the right decision. But I want to let you know that's the power that's available to us. That's the power that God has given us. So the question is, how do I live a power-filled life? First of all, guys, number one is you need to recognize power is available to me. I wonder how many people have quit following Jesus because they didn't know the power that was available to them. I wonder how many people have quit following Jesus because nobody told them and showed them how the power is available to them. You know, guys, Jesus, Jesus told the apostles in Acts chapter 1 that they were supposed to stay in Jerusalem until they receive power from on high. And in Acts chapter 2, we see that happen, where the Holy Spirit comes on them and they start speaking in other languages 
all at once apparently, and people think they're drunk. I got to ask the question, what if Jesus hadn't told them something like that was going to happen? You know, couldn't you see see somebody, Peter, shut up, they think we're drunk. This is not, this. they wouldn't have recognized the power that was there and been able to, to let it explain it and to be able to share the Gospel with it. How many times, guys, do you think you go through your day and there's power available and you don't recognize it? You do what you've always done. You don't think there's any way you can quit blowing up in anger. You don't think there's any way you can learn to deal with your spouse in a gentle way. You don't think there's any way you can quit gossiping about the boss or your other workers. If you're challenged about it and you're serious about it and you try to do it of your own strength, most of the time, most of us are going to come up very empty. And guys, that leads to a complete frustration. It leads to giving up. And so guys, I want to let you know, the first step is to recognize that power is available to you. The second, guys, is you need to acknowledge it's God's power. Now what I mean by that, I just, I just thought of when I said that, number one, that means it's good stuff. Okay? I was just talking to Floyd, and I was asking if he was still in pain, and he said, yeah, but they gave him some good stuff. And he says, and I quote, he said it with a smile on his face, I'm going to get a refill on that. Guys, that's what God's power is. It's the good stuff. And you need to recognize that, and you got to want a refill. You use it once, guess what? You can use it again. And not worry, addiction's good in this case. But guys, look at this passage here in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 9. And what's going on here is the Apostle Paul is talking about he has a thorn in the flesh that he has asked God three times to remove it. And three times God says, no, not going to do it. And this is what it has to say. It says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Circle my power. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. You see, guys, notice this terminology. God says, my power. Paul says, I want Christ's power to rest on me. Guys, my emphasis wasn't that it was the good stuff. That was a side note that just came to me right now. My emphasis is that it's God's power. What does that mean? It's designed to do what He wants to be done with it. Not what we want to be done with it. See guys, has anybody ever seen the the movie Bruce Almighty? You know? And he got to be God. And he had all the powers. You know? And the movie did a wonderful job of illustrating how selfish we would be if we have the powers of God unlimited like that. You know? Whether it was sending the wind to flip that girl's skirt up. Okay? Or lassoing the moon so it could be a big moon. I mean, it was all the things that He wanted. Guys, we need to understand, God's power is not intended to be used like that. It can be misused. 
Look at this next passage here in Matthew 26. Jesus illustrates this for us. This is in the garden. He is about to be arrested. He is being arrested as we speak. And Peter so wisely grabs his sword and lops off a guy's ear. And this is what Jesus has to say. He says, put your sword back in its place. For all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my Father and He will at once put at my disposal more than twelve legions of angels? But how then would the Scripture be fulfilled that says it must happen this way? See guys, what Jesus is saying here is that I only use God's power to fulfill God's will. And guys, you've got to, you need to understand that. That the power that's available to you isn't to get done what you want to get done. One of the most misunderstood passages in the Bible is where Jesus told the apostles, He told His followers, that if two or three of you agree on anything in His name, it'll be done. Now when you first hear that, does that not sound like a blanket endorsement? To get whatever you want. I mean, that means if I can get you guys to agree with me, I'm going to get it. So if I can get two of you to agree with me, that if I have the lottery numbers and I win the lottery, I'm going to pay off this building, God should do it, right? Isn't, isn't that a natural conclusion when you read that passage? No, because I left out something. Jesus says, in my name. That means, by my authority. Let me put it another way. If you ask for what I want, if you ask for my will to be done, I'm going to do it. You see, guys, and you need to understand that. You want power to live your life. You need to understand God is going to achieve that. He's going to use that to achieve His will and His desire. That is what we're after. Which leads us to the third thing you need to do is you need to ask God for wisdom. Ask God for wisdom. In James chapter 1, it tells us very plainly that if any, any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Guys, you need to understand that passage we just looked about. Jesus was using wisdom in His exercising of God's power. And I think it's smart that we should do the same. We need to ask God how to use the power that He has available to us. And not just figure it out on our own. Guys, recognizing it is one thing. Using it wisely is another. Several years ago, we had some marriage material we were looking at called Love and Respect. And the basis for this counselor's advice and instruction on marriage is that men should love their wives unconditionally, love them unconditionally. Women want unconditional love. Men, on the other hand, want unconditional respect. And that women should love their husbands unconditionally, I mean, give them respect unconditionally, and husbands should give their wives unconditional love. Now, that doesn't usually work out that way. 
And he says what happens is that a wife withholds respect, doesn't respect her husband, and so what happens? The husband in turn doesn't love his wife. And so then the wife doesn't feel loved, so what does she do? She gives even less respect. And so then the husband doesn't feel respected, so what does he do? He gives even less love. And it's what they call the crazy cycle. And he says, how do you get off the crazy cycle? It sounds endless. And he says, well, somebody's got to step up and decide they want to stop. You know, either the husband says, I'm going to give unconditional love even though you're not respecting me, or the wife says, I'm going to give unconditional respect even though you're not loving me. And he says, who starts the process? Should it be the husband or should it be the wife? One of the wisest things I've ever heard the man say, or any man say, he says, whoever's the mature one should take the first step. You see, now guys, here's the way this works out. I mean, that is the truth in any situation. Now let's say you're in that, and that applies to all kinds of disagreements, all kinds of conflicts with other people. Who's going to be the mature one? But if you're the mature one, do you think you really ought to brag about being the mature one? Yeah, can you imagine that? You know, the husband steps up to the plate and he decides he wants to be the mature one. And so things are getting better and, and the wife's bragging about how things are getting better. And somebody says, they're out to dinner with somebody and somebody says, well, what turned it around? And the husband says, I decided I was the mature one. Stupid, stupid, stupid. Guys, it puts you in a position of power. When you're able to say, listen, I'm going to do what God says regardless of how I'm treated. But that doesn't mean you spout off about it. And there's wisdom when it comes to that power. I've got on my notes there, guys, you need to look for opportunities. Can I tell you an opportunity? I want to tell you about this. I, I asked Debbie Weiler. Most of you know Debbie Weiler. She's in the back right now teaching her kids. And uh, Debbie was diagnosed with stage 4 cancer about nine months ago. And on Thursday night, uh, her and I were the only ones to show up for the prayer meeting. And so we got to talk for about 30 minutes. Her, her and her husband, Chris, and me and my wife, Susan, have known each other for over 30 years. But we don't get to spend a lot of time around each other. And we were just talking. And Debbie was sharing. And she shared about how the three years leading up to her diagnosis with cancer, about how much she had grown, about how much God had shown her, about and how much God had changed the way she thought. And she said she admitted that that impacted the way she responded to, to the cancer diagnosis. And most of you know that that's not, that was not an easy, that's not an easy diagnosis to hear. And she's had her struggle, and she shared this morning, she told me that her husband has seen the behind the scenes of the struggle for her to get where she gets. But she was telling me Thursday night about how she talks to the cancer. Now what would you say to cancer if you had cancer? You know what, De yeah, get out. <laughs> we'll get there. What she has said is thank you for coming. I have learned. I have grown because of your presence in my life. Does that not blow you away? I mean, what she's saying is God's given me the power 
to choose my response. God's given me the power to grow in spite of this. God's given me the power to not be afraid of death. She, she didn't say all those things. I'm, I'm, I'm reading those into it. But she, now, she did want to make me to make sure she, she told you all that she, she did say to the cancer, thank you, I've learned from you, but you can go away now. You guys, but, but, but that is the situation because what, why, what does that have to do with this? Debbie is using the power that's available to her wisely. She's not expecting God to cure her and heal her and make everything perfect. She's asking for that. Don't get me wrong. But wisdom says that if that doesn't happen, God wants a faithful response from me. God is trying to make me grow, to create in me, to be more like Jesus, to let His Word have fruit in my thoughts. And guys, that's wisdom. Guys, you need to look for those opportunities to exercise that power with wisdom. Fourth thing, if you're going to live a power-filled life, I need to acknowledge my weaknesses. Acknowledge my weaknesses. In the next verse in 2 Corinthians 12, uh, that we read verse 9 of a couple points ago, it says, That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Guys, now I just picked weaknesses there. You can scratch out any, any weakness and put any one of those other words in there. Insults, hardships, persecutions, difficulties. You see, guys, because those, most of the time, when they happen, we whine and cry and beg God to change our circumstances, don't we? That is what we do. How many of you jump up and down and say, God, thanks for the opportunity to grow. Thanks for the opportunity to fight discouragement. Thanks for the opportunity to persevere. Thanks for the opportunity for me to be more like Jesus. Because I want to get revenge when I'm insulted. I want to justify myself. And instead, I get the opportunity to forgive someone. And to love my enemies. Like you've told me to do. And like Jesus did. See guys, until you acknowledge that these things exist, you're going to see them as problems. You're going to see your weaknesses and your difficulties as problems instead of as opportunities. Acknowledge them. The last thing, guys, is take action. All this is not just a, a, a is not just head knowledge. You're not going to be given a written test on this at the end of time. Or even next week. The test is going to come with what you do with it outside of this room. If you go out of this room and you acknowledge that there's power available to you, and you acknowledge the battle, and you're asking God for wisdom, and you're looking for opportunities, you have to take some action. This weekend was a relaxing weekend for me. I guess you could call it that. 
yesterday anyway, my wife has gone to Florida with the young people. And I decided yesterday I wasn't going to do anything. I was literally going to lay around the house and unplug, if you will. I wasn't going to watch Netflix. I wasn't going to go to the car wash. I wasn't going to work. I was going to sit back, try to get some physical rest, and allow God to speak to me in in some capacity if He wanted to speak to me. And guys, He showed me two things where I can exercise power. One was in my marriage. Alan had referred to me a video on YouTube by the Bible Project on the book of Ephesians. And they challenged my thoughts about how I'm approaching some things in my marriage. And I had to say, hmm... It's something that you feel powerless about and he's going, no, here's something you can do something about. Guys, I've got some action to take. Another was with regard to me as an elder and the direction of this church. And guys, what are we going to do? What kind of church are we going to be? And again, God's given me some action that I need to take. And so guys, I I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you that if you're serious about understanding this power, look at this and take some action quickly. God is going to, if you pray, you ask God to show you His power and show you the opportunity to use it, He's going to answer that prayer. And He's going to expect you to take some action. And so guys, I don't know where you're at today. I hope this is helpful. I hope this is useful. I hope you look and say, I want to exercise the power that God's got available to me. I'm going to close out with prayer. And uh, the guys are going to come and sing a song. And we'll be done for the day. Alrighty? Let's pray. Father, it is exciting to think about what is available to me. Father, it is difficult to let go of my picture of how I want things available to me. Father, I want to pray right now for the Greater Alton Church and for each individual that considers themselves a part of it. Father, for each individual that's here today that considers themselves a follower of You. Father, You want us to live a power-filled life and not a powerless life. You don't want us to feel like victims. Father, You want us to approach our difficulties and our weaknesses the way I shared that Debbie Weiler was approaching her cancer. Father, it's an opportunity to see what You're doing. It's an opportunity to to fulfill Your will in our life. It's an opportunity to use Your power in my life to make those decisions, to change my thoughts, and to take some action. Father, I thank You that Jesus died and then He rose from the dead, that You raised Him from the dead so that I can have that same power available to me. And it's in His name that we pray. Amen.